We do have a declaration for this morning, and the reason I, I waited until the sermon to do that was because it ties in with the sermon, and I wanted our declaration to be part of what we learned this morning. So, Bob, would you put up our declaration? I declare that I am made in the image of God so I can live as Jesus lived. Joyful, peaceful, and powerful. Let's try again. Now, everybody, out loud together, I declare that I am made in the image of God so I can live life as Jesus did. Joyful, peaceful, and powerful. Do you believe that? Well, you were made in the image of God. And that should give you the same ability as Jesus walked this earth. The only difference between us and Jesus was that he was in perfect fellowship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. He did all of his miracles through the power of God, the Father. And he did that for a reason and a purpose, so that we would know what was possible in our lives without being God. That we're still the creation. We're still made in his image. We're not him, but we are made in his image. And because of that, and what Jesus did for us in the way of example, we have the ability to live as he did. Joyful, peaceful, and powerful. Last week, I asked all of you if you're, if you're going through a hard time right now in your life. And most of you actually raised your hands. Some of you raised two hands. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, I asked you to uh, give it a week or two. And you'd likely join the rest. Last week's promise was that we would have a comforter in the Holy Spirit who would walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us so that we need not fear. It is possible to walk the worst path of this broken world and still in the journey have peace, have rest, and have joy if we walk it with the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying at all to diminish or make light of how difficult this world can be at times. Jesus didn't make light of the path to the cross. He was simply honest with the Father. I don't want to do this, but not my will, yours be done. Paul didn't make light of his journey. In 2 Corinthians, we read a little bit about what Paul's journey of faith was like. He said, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. It was believed that if you went past 39, you would kill a person. Three times, and, and the point wasn't to kill them, it was to hurt them. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger of rivers, in danger of bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? That's how he describes some of his journey in Christ. 
And yet, having endured all those things, Paul is also the one that declares, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God didn't promise us a comfortable, trouble-free life. He promised an abundant life, a life lived in joy, peace, and rest, and power. Despite whatever trouble, despite whatever hardship we might find in this natural, broken world, that's what God promised. But it's not all that he promised. Not only does the Holy Spirit go with us in the journey, comforting and guiding and teaching and empowering us, he stands by us when we are overwhelmed and he intercedes for us. Listen to today's passage from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, listen to this carefully, in the same way, the Spirit, he's talking the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words, with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in according to God's will. That's a lot to swallow at once. And, and I kind of understand that NIV makes it fairly easy to read, but sometimes I wonder if we really catch it. So I, I also have it for you this morning out of the Message Bible by Eugene Peterson, which is a paraphrase, and he, he, he does beautiful paraphrases of the Word of God that give it more of our common vernacular, the way we really talk to one another. This is what he says of the same passage. He says, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply the birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us as well. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling these birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for a full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. I like the way he puts that. You know, you can just envision a pregnant mom, and she just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and so the expectation keeps growing of the day. He says, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, out of our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Does that make more sense, maybe even, than the last reading? I like the way he paraphrased that, especially I like the way he treats the idea of it being a pregnant situation. Paul uses this beautiful imagery 
of a pregnant woman wanting to give birth to relate to us that there is a tension in the journey of our faith. Every one of us experiences this tension. It is the tension between this fallen world that we live in and the redeemed one that's coming. Caught between two worlds are the redeemed of God, the believers. And it's a strange kind of caught between. We're living, as Hebrews says, as strangers and aliens in this world. That's what Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, tells us that we are. We're strangers and aliens. Why? Because we don't belong to a fallen world when we've been redeemed. We don't quite fit anymore into that fallen category. So there's this tension in how we live in this broken world. It's a strange sort of reality for anyone that is born again in Christ. We live as new creatures, seated with Christ in heavenly places, and yet we walk around in this old, fallen, broken world. This is not our home, and yet this is where we live. Is it any wonder that we find sometimes that our prayers are lacking because sometimes we don't know what to pray? Quite often, the pressures of this life can can get so heavy and the struggle so hard that the best that we can get out is a groan, a sigh. We don't even have words anymore. We don't know what to pray or how to pray. Each of us, one at a time, kind of resembles the classic image of a frustrated Charlie Brown. You ever read Peanuts cartoons? I love Peanuts cartoons. You know, I kind of grew up with them. I don't know about you. Maybe your generation, some of you are too young for that. But Charles Schultz was a comic writer, and his characters were Peanuts. And you can catch them, uh, you know, at Christmas time and Easter time and stuff on the TV, Charlie Brown's Christmas, that kind of stuff, or Halloween. Um, Here's the deal. You know, my dad loved this stuff, too. It was kind of strange for us. But, you know, he nicknamed our kids after those characters. My little brother was Charlie Brown. Not because Charlie Brown was always, you know, breaking things or mishappening things kind of thing, but because even though those things happened to him, Charlie Brown had a good heart. And that's what my dad saw in my, my younger brother. Uh, kind of bumbled through life, but he had a good heart. You know, things would work out at some point. Me, he named Linus. Yeah. I wasn't so sure I wanted to be named Linus until my dad told me why he nicknamed me Linus. He says, because Linus is kind of one of those gentle souls that carries around his blankie, you know, kind of thing. But watch out, if you get him backed into a corner, he knows how to snap that blanket. And that's why he named me that. Okay, I can can live with that, Dad. All right, I'm, I'm good with that. But our life sometimes resembles Charlie Brown. You know, we read a, uh, a Charlie Brown cartoon kind of thing, and, and in one frame, you'll see that Charlie Brown just totally messes up, especially when Lucy moves the football, you know? He, he just believes she's going to let him kick it for once in his life, you know, and, and she never does, okay? It's kind of like Uncle Arthur in Bewitched, you know? The mirror always breaks just when you don't expect it kind of thing, and she'll always pull the football back, and Charlie Brown will go two flips and land on his, his backside kind of thing. The next frame in the cartoon would always be Charlie Brown with his head laid back, mouth wide open, going, ah! You ever, you ever read that? You know, it's, it's just A-A-R-R-G-G-H-H kind of thing. That's the sound that comes out, and that's kind of what it's like for us. You know, sometimes it just, we just get to the point where, you know, life is remove the football, 
And we just went spinning around and landed on our backside yet again. And the only thing we can say is, arr. That picture that follows Charlie Brown's mishap is just kind of a, a picture sometimes of what hurts inside of us when we get broadsided by a DUI, somebody dying under the influence of the enemy. And we're not even sure how to pray, much less proceed. And the best that we can say to God at that point is, when we've entered into what I would call the groan zone. That's all that comes out. It's a groan. And we know that God is good, but at that moment, that moment, we're kind of like that pregnant woman in the midst of childbirth. It's painful, even though we know something good is going to come out of it. It still hurts. It still takes our breath away. And it's an arg moment. But there is a promise that is ours in the midst of our arg moments. Before I get into that, I want to stop and pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to come before you right now and recognize the fact, Father, that we live in this broken world. And it is not our home. We are strangers. We are aliens in this place. But we also live here. We also walk hand in hand with you on this planet. And you have a design and purpose in that. And you do not leave us to our own devices. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being the comforter in those hard moments. But more than that, Holy Spirit, we want to thank you that you intercede for us in those moments as well. In the middle of those moments when all we can get out is a groan, you interpret that and you take it to the throne room of heaven for us. We come as grateful people, but we also come as people that want to learn this morning, that want to be more invested, to be people who pursue more of who you are. So I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning and hearts to receive the truth that you give us and the promises that you have for us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the good news. In the midst of the moments the Holy Spirit sees our groaning, he actually hears those heartbeats of ours and he knows our thoughts and best of all, he knows how to give them a voice before God the Father. He memorizes our groans, word for word, A-A-R-R, G-G-H-H, whatever those mean, he knows what it is. And he gets behind the meaning of that, and every groan and every sigh and every confused thought, he understands. And he carries those to God the Father, and he sorts them out, and he communicates what our hearts need to to communicate. And he explains to the Father just what our hearts mean. And this, he says, this child, Father God, this child's frustrated right now. This one's angry. This one's confused. And I know these things because you put me in them and I can touch their spirits. I can read their hearts because I'm yours, Father. Now, think about that for a moment. That's how personal the Holy Spirit is with you. Just imagine the Holy Spirit saying that on your behalf because that's what he does. He lives in us through the faith that Jesus has given us. In our passage today, we're going to see that not only is creation groaning and not only are we groaning, we're groaning for a purpose. We're groaning for glory. But the Holy Spirit himself groans with us. Check it out by looking again at the passage. 
In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. In other words, he groans with us. It's like he knows the language of groaning. So let me begin with a few questions for you. How many of you believe that prayer is important? Have you ever struggled to pray, especially when you're unsure of what to pray for? Do you want prayer to be in harmony with the will of God, but you don't know what that is, so you're confused about what to pray for sometimes? Well, you just fell into the category with the rest of us. All of us All of us go here at some point. One last question. Do you think, knowing all that, okay, do you think that God is really waiting on us to word our prayers just right before he'll consider answering it? No. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for. There's an answer to our prayer problems. There's a way for us to defeat the struggles we have in prayer and experience a breakthrough that will revolutionize not just our prayer life, but our walking life in this world as well, our our walk of faith. There's an answer to all of that, and that answer is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit wants to become everybody's personal prayer partner, and He can do that. Holy Spirit not only has solutions for our prayer struggles, He is literally the Spirit of prayer, a prayer partner who makes connecting with God not just possible, but a sure thing. The prayer partnering relationship that we're meant to have in the Holy Spirit, I think is made clear in at least three passages of Scripture. And I'm going to share a little bit with with each one of those, the last one being our passage for this morning. But let me start with Jude. Jude chapter 20 says, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. There is an investiture that we're supposed to have where we pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. And then we come to our passage this morning. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now, these three passages of Scripture, we see that there are specific ways in which the Holy Spirit wants to partner with us in prayer. And I want to focus on three real practical ways that the Holy Spirit partners with us. First one, the Holy Spirit actually stirs us to pray. This might surprise some of you, but prayer doesn't start with us knocking on the door of heaven. Prayer starts with God knocking on our door. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The key to this this verse in Revelation 3.20 is that it's not about evangelism like so many people have taught and thought. It's about fellowship with God. It's Christ's call. Jesus is talking to the saved, the already redeemed, the people of Laodicea that are in the church there. They'd grown lukewarm, and they'd lost their first love, their passion for Jesus. And he's saying to them, hey, 
I'm here. I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking, and I want to come in, and I want to have fellowship with you. Prayer doesn't begin by us knocking on heaven's door. It begins by God knocking on our heart, knocking on our door. The Holy Spirit stirs us to pray for fellowship. No one comes to the Father except that the Holy Spirit would woo him. Where does Christ desire to live? In Christ's home. Where is that? It's in your heart. And so he comes and he knocks on the door of our life because he wants this fellowshipping prayer with us, this communion with us. It has time to, to do with spending time in the presence of Christ. And the Holy Spirit stirs us to do that. But he also stirs us to go beyond that as well. He stirs us to be warriors, prayer warriors. How many of you are, are intercessors that you like to pray for other people? Okay? It's just a, it's a passion of yours. You like to lift up people in prayer. You can't not do it. Okay? That's an intercessor. They just got to pray for people. Okay? You're a prayer warrior. The rest of us, if you didn't raise your hand, you can be a prayer warrior. And oftentimes, I'm sure that you are. Our greatest battles aren't just for the obvious needs that we face, the physical, financial, relational needs that we face in this world. Our greatest battles are really spiritual battles. Ephesians 6.12 says, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Prayer is an offensive weapon in the armory of God. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Prayer is a weapon. And the Holy Spirit is the one who moves us to weaponize our faith. There are times when the Holy Spirit wants to stir us up so that we can stand in the gap for someone or something in the battle of our faith to fight and to wrestle against powers and authorities and dominions. Those are all angelic names, by the way, angelic offices of fallen angels. We get to fight that battle. Not only does the Holy Spirit stir us to pray like that, to pray for fellowship for our own intimacy, but also to pray for uh, the battle that we face against the enemy, but he also strengthens us in those prayers. He doesn't just stir us to do that and leave us alone. He gives us the power to do it as well. He stirs up fellowship with God. He stirs up a fight with the enemy because he wants to see us succeed. I love that part about you know, Graham Cook and, and the way he sees things. You don't have a struggle? Sucks to be you. Why? Because God wants to see you overcome so he can promote you to the next level the next level of intimacy with him. He wants to see you fight those battles, those spiritual battles, so that you can grow in your intimacy with him. That's what he's about. And he strengthens us to take on the enemy, to see that accomplished, because he's sure of the victory that you will have. And he wants you to do that. It's just, just the same way you parents want your children to walk. You encourage them. You set them on their feet. When they fall down, you pick them up, and you do it again. God is just like that. That's why it says in Romans 8.26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groans and words that, uh, groans that words cannot express. There are three ways that the Holy Spirit strengthens us as we pray. He strengthens us by energizing us. Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. He's going to strengthen you by energizing you. This isn't a simple promise of life after we die. It's the promise of an overcoming life that we're living. So let me ask you a question. How is it that Jesus could pray through the night while his disciples couldn't pray for an hour? Remember that story? Garden of Gethsemane. He asked them to watch and to pray. And he goes away and, he, and he's praying through the night. He comes back and they're asleep. Every one of them has fallen asleep. Think about that. It's exactly the same reason we have a hard time making any commitment to pray. Jesus gives us the answer when he says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. On their own, the disciples didn't have the energy, the physical or mental capacity to stay in the battle. Neither do we. Unless the Spirit energizes us, we're going to fall out of the battle as well. There's an energizing that comes from the Holy Spirit, an energizing that gives us strength that we need to stand in the gap and to pray, even when we don't know what to pray for. He's the one that empowers us to actually do the praying. That might be the best part of the promise. Our passage this morning actually promises us that at the moment when we are lost for words, we are gifted with a new prayer language. Groaning. The language of groaning. The Holy Spirit strengthens us by enlightening us. Because when all we have left is to groan, He's the one that answers the groaning. He's the one that makes sense out of it before the throne. We don't just struggle physically and emotionally. We struggle mentally in even knowing what to pray for. But he makes sense out of that. Paul writes in 8.26, Romans 8.26, we do not know what we ought to pray for. We're reduced to groans. That's not a bad place to be. When we've come to the end of our words, the end of our ideas of what to pray for, we are promised that the Holy Spirit will step into the situation and matches the groaning of our lips with his understanding of the will of the Father over our lives so that what is communicated in the throne room of God is in harmony with the heartbeat of heaven. You get that? I know that was a lot to take in all of a sudden. Say it again. Okay. When we come to the end of our word, the end of our ideas on what to pray for. We are promised that the Holy Spirit steps into that situation for us and he matches the groaning of our lips with his understanding of what the will of the Father is in that situation we're groaning over. So that what is communicated in the throne room of heaven is in harmony with the heartbeat of heaven. Does that make sense? God is always going to act on his knowledge, and his knowledge is perfect. His heartbeat is always consistently perfect towards us. He never makes a mistake. Even when we don't know what to pray for because we don't want to pray for the wrong thing, okay? The Holy Spirit takes that groaning and he makes it become harmonious with God's heartbeat. 
so that what we pray, even though we don't understand it, because it's just groans, actually makes sense in the throne room of heaven. Think about that promise. The Holy Spirit shapes our prayers. Really, He wants to shape our hearts so when we come to the end of our own ideas and our own words, our hearts actually do end up beating in rhythm with God's heart. Folks, that's not a prayer that you can mess up. Even though you may not know what you ought to pray for, that's not a prayer that you can mess up. When you finally get to the point where you just say, I don't know what to even say about this, Father God, anymore, and you're lost for words, that is not a prayer that you can mess up. Don't miss the first part of that passage. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Greek word translated help there is really an interesting word. The Greek word help is preceded by what's called a double prefix. The first part of the prefix means together with. The other part means instead of. That's really interesting. The Holy Spirit, when you put it together, the Holy Spirit helps together with us, and the Holy Spirit does it instead of us. That's what it's saying. The Holy Spirit offers a prayer together with us and help instead of us because we don't have the ability to do what He does. It's that kind of help that we're getting. The Holy Spirit of God does the work, but He will not do it apart from us. The Holy Spirit wants to speak. He wants to speak through us. And so there's another principle that we need to understand here. The Holy Spirit, He stands with us in prayer. This This is important. The Holy Spirit expresses our prayers. Groaning, which cannot be understood in any other way because it's too deep for words, He understands and He expresses that to God. Who's doing the groaning? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it you? Well, go back to the help thing. That prefix thing, it means together with you and instead of you. So it's not just you, it's both. You're groaning and the Holy Spirit's groaning. He's groaning instead of us, but he's also groaning together with us. It's that partnership. When God, the Holy Spirit, and the human spirit come together and enable you to pray a prayer language that you don't understand and no one but God can translate. It's not the same thing as the gift of tongues, by the way. Not at all. The gift of tongues is a spiritual gift that many in the body are given for the good of the body of Christ. Not everyone gets the gift of tongues, just like not everyone gets the gift of prophecy. What we're talking about here is a different language altogether. It is the language of a groaning heart the sound of a heart that has run out of words to express itself, so it just groans. That is a prayer language anyone can have. This word groaning is the word that is used in the pains of childbirth. If you will, look at the verse, verse 22, same chapter. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. That's where I started with this in verse 22. That's why I included verse 22 in all this, to give you some context of what Paul was talking about and why the groans are important. Just as a woman who travails in pain of giving childbirth, the groans, the sighs, the pain, that's the idea that the Holy Spirit of God is taking on 
when he intercedes for us before God, those things that you feel so deeply about, he interprets for you. Those hurts, those wounds, those sorrows, those pleas, those sighs. And you say, God, I don't know how to say this. And the Holy Spirit steps in with his help and says, hey, let me pray for you. Let me groan for you. It is then that the Holy Spirit will begin to move in your heart. And those things that are inexpressible, unutterable, inarticulate, those desires, he will carry those to the throne room of God. And the Holy Spirit, he prays for us at that point. He prays for us, with us, and instead of us. Just as a woman in travail of of childbirth has pain, he, he experiences that with us because he's looking past the pain to the childbirth. It is a pain that is changed or transfigured by the hope of what is yet to come. It's pain that's made different through expectation. It is the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the prayer of agony transfixed, transposed by hope. Jesus' hope in the Garden came from knowing the end game. Hebrews tells us that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. The joy was the hope of an intimate relationship with us. He endured the cross, all the pain of that, like a woman endures the pain of childbirth, for the love of the life that has yet to come. She endures it for her child, and he endured it for us, that he might have intimacy with us. You might be in the birth pangs of childbirth right now in terms of where you're at. The trials and tribulations that I spoke of last week that most of you raised your hand and some of you probably engaged this week. You may not know how to pray about some of those things. But Jesus endured the cross for a reason and a purpose, to give you a connection to the Holy Spirit. Because he said, if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. He wanted you to have that intimate connection with the Holy Spirit so that even in the midst of the hardest, darkest night of the soul, even when all you can do is groan, you have somebody to interpret that groaning and take it to the throne room of God where it cannot be misunderstood and it will be aligned with the purposes of God because he is the Holy Spirit. He is God. Here's the promise. It is the promise of help, the promise of a groaning heart that is heard in heaven. The Holy Spirit stands in the gap between your heart and the heartbeat of God. And that is the hope that makes walking in this fallen world as a stranger and as an alien in this place a journey of joy, a journey of peace, and a journey of power no matter what your circumstances. So I want you to do this for me this morning. I want you to take whatever trial it is that you're experiencing in your life, whatever difficulty it is that you're experiencing in your life, and I just want you to take a moment and give that up to God and say, God, I just don't have any more words for this. If you've prayed about it and, and you still haven't seen a resolution to it, stop using your own words and let the Holy Spirit just interpret your heart for you. Would you do that?
I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to go there, and then I'm going to close in prayer, okay? Let's pray. Remember, as you lift this up to the Lord, Jesus promised you that if you would yoke yourself to him, that your burdens would be light. If you're really giving this up, you should start to feel lighter about right now. Holy Spirit, I just want to pray for us right now as a body of Christ. Every one of us has difficult situations, difficult people, difficult things in our lives. And we need to walk lightly and freely. So I declare over us as a people, lightness. Just lightness. Jesus, you promised that that, that's what would happen if we yoked ourselves to you, that we would experience life in lightness. Light as a feather. That joy would bubble up. That peace would overflow. And that your power would reign in our lives and in the situations and circumstances of our lives. And I declare in the name of Jesus that that is true for us because you said it would be. And Holy Spirit, thank you for taking our groans, taking our unuttered prayers, the things of our heart before God the Father. And thank you for for aligning our hearts with his heart so that we see the answers to the prayers. Amen. Amen. Worship team, would you join me? While they're coming up, I want you to do one thing for me. Would you stand up? Bob, would you put our declaration back up on the the screen for us? I want you to take this declaration into your week with you. Let's say it again. I declare that I am made in the image of God so I can live life as Jesus did, joyful, peaceful, and powerful. Amen?